Welcome to the Film Illiterates Podcast, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised movie talk. I'm Joe Campbell, and here I am again with my fabulous duo with me, Alex Patton. Hello, hello. And Nathan Stone. Well, good day to you, Joe and Alex. Uh, here we are, 2022, beginning of the new year. We've all watched tons of movies over the past year, right, guys? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right, uh-huh. of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and, I like how we're, we're immediately pointing him out. I was like, all right, Alex, you've watched movies, right? That was the question like a week ago, and then I was like, oh, shoot, I have not watched movies. <laughs> Literally, this was his cram week. This was his cram week. Yes, Alex has been has been pulling uh, double shifts, trying to get caught up on on movies this past week. And I, I've got to say, Alex, you've been doing a hell of a job. I've been watching your letterbox. I, I hey, I got it. I got it done. I got my yeah. movies for the first for the first year end podcast. I actually have movies now. So 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 your number one for this year is no longer Space Jam: A New Legacy. I assume. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Unfortunately, it's not. It got got bumped off the top spot. Yeah, I mean, it it could just like just fall off the face of the earth, and no one would care. <laughs> I would care. So before we get too off the rails, we are here to count down our top five movies from twenty twenty one. I don't know. I always look forward to when we do this. It's it's always kind of like a nice summation of like what our year of movies was kind of like. But you know, I mean, I'm kind of surprised with what I picked. I'll be surprised what you guys picked as your top five yes yes i'm very i'm very curious i'm especially curious to see because because alex i know that i know that you haven't watched as many movies as as nader i so i'm I'm really curious as far as you know if if some movies you have are rated a little bit higher up and up on the list than i would have had them but then again you're you're my taste like i feel like there's like this intersection but then we also wildly diverge most of the time yeah yeah there's like there's yeah there's some points where we're like yeah we're, we're both on the same page as far as this goes and then other movies were just like I'm 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 thinking this is the worst movie I've seen in years, and you're like, this is the best movie I've seen in years. Like Rubber, Rubber's good. Oh my gosh, I hate Rubber. I can't. Stand I like rubber. rubber. See, Rubber's a fun movie. So, without any further ado, let's count down our top five movies of 2021. Alex, what is your okay. number five movie of the year? Alrighty, so <clears throat> number five. This one was uh, yeah, it was a really small one actually. I I mentioned it to Nate right before we were recording, and he hadn't heard of it. But my number five is Old Henry. Is the synopsis is a widowed farmer and his son warily take in a mysterious injured man with a satchel of cash. When a posse of men claiming to be the law come for the money, the farmer must decide who to trust. Defending a siege of his homestead, the farmer reveals a talent for gunslinging that surprises everyone, calling his true identity into question. Um, yeah, this is a very small, not very well-known movie at all. Dude, Tim Blake Elson's in this. Yeah, and this this movie is entirely like carried by him. He's so good. I mean, honestly, ever since I saw it, was that that one movie, uh, Ballad of Buster Struggs? Mm-hmm. He's kind of does have that star power. Like he's always been like the supporting cast or like you know that character type actor that would be in the background but he can carry a movie i'm very surprised yeah and actually i was reading online a little bit earlier as well um when he was talking to the director he was talking to him saying how kind of coming off of the ballad of buster scruggs um he that character is 
far like vastly different than what the character in old in old henry is going to be and so he's kind of talking to him about making sure to to differ the performances and differ the styles just entirely as much as he could um i haven't seen ballad of buster scruggs but apparently there's a lot of like gun flipping and like cool flashy stuff and oh yeah he really shows off his gunslinging skills so yeah Yeah. and in this there is none of that (laughs) at least from him it's a pretty quiet movie there's not a whole lot that happens until really kind of the end Uh, all the other supporting characters are more or less pretty good even even trace adkins who i didn't know acted no i i mean i'm looking at the cast right now it's like he's in this movie yeah i'm like well, i think i mean like you know western you know, with a country singer okay yeah that makes sense but like i i was surprised and i was honestly surprised by his acting as well he was actually he was actually pretty good you know looking at the trailer it kind of has like this old like a uh, 1950s western mm-hmm. like vibe to it like uh shane and maybe like the yearling or anything like that so it, it kind of reminisces on that a little bit darker and grittier but yeah no i mean yeah looks like a good recommendation man yeah and it, it, it is a pretty simple and straightforward story you know kind of the synopsis i read at the beginning that is literally what you get and while it does you know maybe have a little bit of twist and turns and kind of like just a little bit of stuff it's nothing really like mind-blowing and whatnot like i said it's a very simple and straightforward what's that i'm joke? telling you alex i have I, I haven't seen this movie but uh-huh. like it just sounds to me like you're just describing pig so go see oh pig. my <laughs> god i did not watch pig okay <laughs> I was going to the other day, and then I, had, I think I had something I was I was doing. I I did not watch Pig. Okay, fine, I did not. And now I'm never going to watch Pig because I don't have to. <laughs> to, to be to be frankly honest, everybody, uh, Joe has been bugging me and Alex and Nick as well on from Illiterates to watch Pig. Nick has seen Pig. All, Nick, Nick has loves Pig. Oh, I, okay, I know, but it's like you've been nagging us for like six months already at this point. He's been so specifically good. pestering me to watch so Pig good. at every single point you can. I'm telling, I'm telling you, I'm not. telling you, Alex, you would like it. I'm sure I would. There's a lot of movies that I'm sure I would like. Will I ever watch them? Mm, I don't know about that one. Will, will you do it for Nick Cage, though? Will you do it for him? Mm, that's a... Ooh. Yeah, I'll put you on the spot right, there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough. But anyway, Old Henry, it's a good movie. Um, there's not a whole lot of crazy stuff to, to the story. The acting is good. It, it's, it's The locations that they shot it in is beautiful. It's shot out in Tennessee. And um, yeah, when it gets to action, the action is good. And it's really kind of only comes in at the end. But yeah, it, it's a solid film for sure. Sweet. Alrighty, Nate, what is your number five? All right, guys, my number five movie of 2021 is Dune. Paul Atreides, a brilliant and gifted young man born into a great destiny beyond his understanding, must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and his people. Um, This movie is directed by the one and only Denny Villeneuve, who has done other movies like Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, and Enemy, which is actually my favorite of his. Don't forget Prisoners. Oh, and Prisoners. Don't, I won't forget Prisoners. Yes. Uh, but yeah, this movie, uh, if anyone's familiar with Dune, it's like the, the um, kind of like the pinnacle of sci-fi writing. Sorry, Joe. No disrespect for um, the, the Foundation series, but I think Dune is actually, it trumps everything, even Star Wars. Like, 
as far as world building goes, this this is a good story. And, you know, people who probably have seen the David Lynch version from the 80s will like look back on that and say that was a good one. But I think this version of it just is a million times better. Like Denny Velny does something with his attention to detail, um, acting to just make you feel it's a grounded world. And this is an excellent cast, too. You have Timothy Chalamet in it. You have um, Oscar Isaac. Uh, Zidane in it. Just a huge freaking cast. And even like um, Jason Momoa, you know, he pulls off a great performance in this, too. But I think what just made this so good is like, obviously, I think people were expecting a full movie, but it's it's split into two now. And I think that was necessary just so you can understand this world and why it, it operates the way it does. You think back like in the 80s movie, it only had like two hours to try and cram this huge story and this huge universe into it. And I don't know, I think the way this was done was just, I think this is just sci-fi done right. Cinematography, acting, just direction as well. And I mean the score too, you know, Hans Zimmer oh, yeah. doing another amazing score. And it's funny, he doesn't even have to like make any melodies or, you know, orchestrations he just has to blast horns and basses and yeah feel everything it it just created more intensity for the action but yeah no I'm one of my favorite films of this year and, and it, it could have been ranked a little higher it's just i picked some other movies that were going to take the top uh one spots so it'll be interesting as we go down this list so more surprises to come nice my number five movie of the year it's uh, it might be a little controversial as far as 2021 2020 releases because um, it was I, I believe it was up for Oscars for the Oscars last year. But basically, it was a film that was meant to get released in 2020 and it got pushed back until very early 2021. So I think that's that's when it actually got its release. That's fair. Is it No Time to Die? No, it is. <laughs> it is The Father. Oh. Directed by Florian Zeller, starring Anthony Hopkins, Olivia Coleman, Mark Gatiss, Olivia Williams. Uh, good, good, good rounded cast here. This was a film. Uh, well, I'll run through the synopsis real quick. A man refuses all assistance from his daughter as he ages. As he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, he begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of his reality. So I went into this movie anticipating that it was going to be a film about uh, almost kind of like a dramatic thriller about a family taking advantage of this elderly man's aging mind. And instead, it, it became a much more thoughtful, introspective kind of tragic movie than I expected it to be. Because what the film is trying to do is basically showing you this this elderly man that he's confused, he can't quite make sense of everything and different time periods of his life are getting kind of mixed up in his head and he doesn't quite know where he is all the time. And the film is trying to put you in his headspace so that you know kind of where he's at and where he's coming from. So there is no kind of shenanigans going around, going on. There is, it's not about a family trying to take advantage of him. It's just about this man trying to make sense of the, the world and nothing makes sense. And he's confused and angry and scared. And I've got to say, it, it really hits that spot very well. No, Joe, I, I actually did watch this movie um, as well when it was available. And I, I personally can relate to this as well. My grandfather has been going through dementia this past year. So watching him deteriorate and seeing this movie is, it's almost kind of like mirroring that. So I actually agree with you, Joe. This movie does a very accurate portrayal of what it feels like 
to be in that. And I think that's what the movie's praised for a lot as well. It's just how spot on it is. Oh, that's actually yeah, that's actually interesting you mentioned that because Nate, I'm literally going through the same thing. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I should watch maybe I should watch the movies. Check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 my my grandpa died uh what 10 plus years ago so most of my memories of him are from when i was a kid and a teenager and i i mean i mean i can't say that he went through anything quite like this but anthony hopkins performance in this movie just relates to me in how i remember my grandpa just kind of like the way he shuffles around the house the way he communicates with people i know we talk about how great of an actor anthony hopkins is but i think we tend to underestimate these days just how damn good of an actor he is he is from that school of acting that's almost kind of um, archaic at this point. But yeah, a lot of actors who have had the chance to work with him while he is still with us um, have all praised him saying like, it's an experience like working with him like no one's ever experienced. So yeah, so abs- absolutely very hard hitting, very kind of subtle performance in, in, in this movie. Very, very hard hitting movie. Uh, I highly recommend checking out if it sounds like the sort of thing that would be up your alley. Yeah, just bring your Kleenexes, you know, because it is a tearjerker. Absolutely. Oh, and, and and Olivia Coleman. I can't, again, stress how great of an actress she is, and I'm glad that she's getting more recognition these days for her wider range of performances she's doing. So, yeah. Yeah, at least, like, they're not casting her as the queen anymore, so that's that's a that's a plus. <laughs> my, 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 my experience with her was initially uh, hot fuzz. That, that's, like, yeah. what I thought of her as for the longest time. <laughs> <laughs> which is a great performance but certainly uh, not where she's going these days no 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 she's going to much better prospects Alrighty, alex what is your number four movie of the year <laughs> number four is the only movie that i actually saw in theaters dune well i can i can probably skip the synopsis because we already went over that right <laughs> but going into the movie i didn't know that this was a part one. Oh, so so you're kind of caught off guard when it said part one yeah beginning that threw me off i was i was expecting the entire movie to be encapsulated in this nearly three hour runtime i would say it, it, it's speechless it's it's you he's know, lost her words i'm trying to think of something you haven't said <laughs> I, I i just really i i did enjoy it it is a very long movie so like kind of what like joe was talking about it is one of those ones that's you might find a bit of uh, a bit of hard time finding well enough time to put into actually sitting down and watching the whole thing. Um, but when you do, when you do find the time, it it, it definitely is worth it because it is a really gorgeous film. It going talking about how you know it's kind of like a part one. I was originally thinking you know it's kind of it, it feels like Fellowship of the Ring. You know, it's kind of this this start of a what's going to be a greater story that'll come later in the next few parts or whatever i don't think it's as good as as fellowship of the ring to be clear that movie is i mean that's lord of the rings but it kind of felt that way in that even though that even though this was all kind of felt a lot like just a setup just just to kind of get us rolling get us going into what what more is going to come in the later films like fellowship of the ring it's everything still felt like meaningful and still felt great and it still felt it was very interesting to watch it wasn't just kind of you know all right let's just introduce this character introduce that character and let's just keep going and you know actually get to the good stuff it, it, 
all the little minor stuff and all the smaller parts and whatnot. It was all great. It was good. Um, you know, one thing I, I didn't mention as well, Alex, is um, this movie does a good job on on bringing the politics of this world. Yes. It, and I think that's like a big complaint. I think a lot of people have said about this movie is because it's so long getting into this world and you finding the dynamics of the Atreides and the different houses that kind of at this like trade warfare kind of going on. Mm-hmm. It it takes a long to get into it. But once you get on it rolling, it makes a lot more sense. I think that was the one thing the my opinion, the 1984 movie had a hard time doing was cramming all that world building into that. And this movie makes politics look interesting. Yeah. And I was, I haven't seen the original, so I can't really compare it. Um, and I, I have heard that that is one of the, um, you know, one of the praises of the books is, uh, is how, is how into the world building and like politics side of the, of the book that, that it gets into. And honestly, that was, that's some of that stuff is one of my you know more favorite parts and aspects of the movie i as as good as the action does get in 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 dune i do prefer the more the quieter stuff i prefer you know like you said the politics and the kind of like the social social um aspects of the of the film and this isn't really much of a spoiler but like also i kind of in, in enjoying those like non-action parts i do wish we kind of saw a little bit more of how paul is supposedly like the chosen one or something like that mm-hmm. <laughs> which i feel like i, I want more uh, more explanation and i hope we get more of that in the next you know few, few films or whatever mm-hmm. but um yeah it like i said it, it, it's a it's a great movie this like you mentioned the score goes hard and yeah the acting is great i i I don't think I've been a huge fan of Timothy Chalamet in other movies, but um, he, he, was, he was pretty good. I felt like there was other people that may have done a little bit better, Oscar Isaac specifically, but he was not bad. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, we should give like at least Timothy Chalamet um, credit that he's still pretty young mm-hmm. in his career. Like he's, he's still got a long way, but he's already been working with some of the greats. So, you know, I got, I got no problem with him, really. Um, he was he was good. But yeah, yeah, like I said, Dune was Dune was really good, really good, long and Maybe at times a little hard to get to, but good nonetheless. I I will say that I'm kind of glad that um, Warner Brothers um, did not listen to him when he was like saying, you know, put this on HBO Max last year because oh, was he really? I, yeah, he was kind of leading, he went on SNL and he made this whole campaign about it, and I was like, dude, just nah. let the movie come to theaters because it's worth seeing it on the big screen. Yeah, it was. It honestly was. I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did see it in theaters. Like I said, it was the only one that I actually saw <laughs> but anyway that's uh that's my number four pick nate what do you got here oh boy guys this is you've heard me talk about this movie quite a bit this past year um so joe you've kind of mentioned and brought a pig a couple of times as well as that movie lamb from a24 oh yeah so you know it was a year where we had a very interesting uh collection of like indie movies that all revolve around kind of creepy babies in a way this next one is kind of falls in that category, um, and that is the Julia de Cormo uh, body horror film Titan. Oh, it is really hard to kind of get into this movie um, just because of how messed up and how polarizing it sounds. Just from you look at the trailer and just read the first synopsis of it. Um, Alexa is a woman who, after being injured in a car accident as a child, has a titanium plate fitted into her head. And as she grows up working as a car show dancer, 
and acting out upon a serial killer spree, she finds herself in dire situations when she becomes pregnant over supernatural reasons. What? Yeah. Here's the thing. That you think that's what the movie is in the first 25 minutes. You get into this really just raunchy, gritty, disgusting kind of a serial killer thriller movie. And then it switches and it becomes something completely different. And I found this actually probably one of the most introspective and wholesome movies to caught me off guard. And maybe that's the reason why it was ranked so high. Well, Julia DeConro, she's the same director who did the movie Raw. She has this interesting fascination where she takes on like a lot of, uh, I guess, social issues and dramas and fits it around like this messed up concept. It, but the thing is, what I kind of like about this movie is it feels like it's a fable wrapped in this weird body horror thriller. And I, I don't know. I think this movie pushes buttons in the best and worst way. And I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it, even though I was like the only person who saw this in the movie theater. Yeah. Nick and Joe, and I think and you as well, have been kind of like mentioning it back and forth in the, in the Discord. And yeah, I don't know what to think of this movie at all because like I just keep hearing random different things. And I just don't know what I'm I'm interested, but like also a little little wary going into it because I don't know if it's really my kind of deal. But yeah, I'm gonna, I'm just going to burst your bubble. It's not. Okay. <laughs> It's definitely not. If if you can't handle gore or blood or even just um, a, a lot of that kind of stuff that you see in horrors that and you kind of mentioned you don't like it, this has all of it in the first 25 minutes and it progressively gets better as it goes on. All right. I, I, I mean, I can I can deal with like with blood and gore. That's fine by me. But like when it gets like disgusting. Eh. Well, yeah, like I said, this goes there. Okay. It, All right. it, it sets the bar really high in the first 25 minutes. And then after that, it just keeps ramps it up. Just kind of, it kind of ramps up, but you kind of get numbified by it. All right. I guess I'll, I will tentatively keep it on my watch list. But yeah, I mean, it does, from what you describe, it does sound quite interesting. Yeah, Titan, haven't gotten around to it yet, is another one. Uh, the, just just, just the, the word of mouth on this one has gotten me intrigued, and I want to check it out. But I, I will say, I, I was not a big fan of Raw. I remember that one was highly acclaimed. A lot of people loved it, you know, which, which, which is great and all, but it just it's, it didn't go as crazy as I kind of think I hoped it would, and um, it didn't really have as much to say, as, at least for, to me, as I, again, hoped it would. So no, I, I will say in my opinion, Titan I think actually does a lot better than what Raw tries to do, especially like with what it's saying in its story and kind of what it does as far as the story. So yeah, so I'll jump into it eventually. Mm-hmm. Get around to it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just just watch enough uh, David Cronenberg before you get into this. <laughs> you know, maybe watch Crash before getting into this. It'll make a lot more sense. All right, my number four movie of the year is A Quiet Place Part Two, directed by John Krasinski, starring Emily Blunt, Killian Murphy, John Krasinski, and a whole bunch of other people. Oh, Scoot McNary is in this. I forgot about that. Following the events at home, the Abbott family now face the terrors of the outside world. Forced to venture into the unknown, they realize that the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats that lurk beyond the sand path. So, I. Just like the rest of the world, I loved A Quiet Place. I thought it was a very well-done sci-fi thriller. Every once in a while, you have these sorts of movies that take this kind of 
high concept genre idea and just execute it on a top notch level. The way they use sound in that movie, the way they use the, the the characters and they all come together and they all have very distinct personalities. Fantastic. In my opinion, A Quiet Place Part 2 is just on par with the first one. It continues along just like the first one. It doesn't repeat the same beats. They explore some new options. The first movie was very contained to the farm. Now the family is moving out and you're bumping into other people and you get to see what other people are like in this world of these creatures that hunt by sound. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really have a whole lot to expound on in this movie. It's just very well done. And I enjoyed it again. You know, I, I I can see watching this back to back with the first movie and kind of seeing it as one big experience. That's it. That, you know, that that's on par with each other. I I like how they took that stinger at the end of the first movie uh, and they turned that into a major plot piece in the second one and saying like, all right, what if we take the ending of the first movie and execute it on a wider scale and try to take out more of these things? And how do you realistically use that? So, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed A Quiet Place Part 2. Yeah, honestly, I, I was kind of afraid when this movie was coming out that, you know, the theory, you know, lightning doesn't always strike twice because I enjoyed the first one, too. I think it was like my top movie of when of that year when it came out. And I was like, I don't know. Is it going to actually go as far as it did the first time? And uh, yeah, it did, too. I mean, I think, Joe, you're right. It it does expound on the concepts and the themes it explores for the first one, but goes even further. It, it almost feels like you could actually make a, almost like a series, an ongoing series of this. And there'd be still a lot more to say. I know this one didn't quite work as well for a lot of people out there. I know it's fairly well regarded, but not nearly as highly as the first one. For me, it's just kind of, again, it, it takes the concept and tries to explore a little bit new things with it, but still feels like the same flavor. So yeah, my, 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 my worry going into it was that it's just going to be, oh, the same thing over again. But no, it feels like of a piece of the first movie while doing, doing some new things. So yeah. Alex, what is your number three? All right. So because you had a movie that technically came out in 2020 on your list, <laughs> that means I get to have a movie that technically came out in 2020 on my list. That is the Demon Slayer movie, Mugen Train. It came out in 2020 in Japan, but came out in 2021 in the U.S. So I get my weeb pick. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's an anime movie. If that's not obvious, of course, I have to have one on my list. But um, the movie, I I, I like the movie because it carries a lot of the kind of um, the hype from the first season um and just really it it translates it well into a movie it feels just like a long episode or really that's kind of just what it is essentially um but the synopsis here is uh tanjiro uh, komodo oh my god i'm gonna butcher this already i've watched this series a few times oh god tanjiro komodo joined with inosuke hashibara a boy raised by boars who wears a boar's head and Zenitsu Agatsuma, a scared boy who reveals his true power when he sleeps, boards the Infinity Train on a new mission with the fire Hashira Kyojiro Rengoku to defeat a demon who has been tormenting the people and killing the demon slayers who oppose it. So a little bit of backstory to kind of catch you up to speed, because that's the synopsis of the movie, which kind of uh, assumes you've already know you've already watched the anime. Tanjiro Inosuke and Zenitsu are essentially training to become uh, demon slayers. It's set in sort of 
I don't know. I don't know the exact time frame it's set in, but it's set in like old Japan where like trains were kind of a newer thing and really cool. Either way. Um, and they're joining the fire Hashira. Um, Rengoku, he's essentially like top tier demon slayer, I guess you could, I don't, he's like the special agents. I don't I mean, know. I, I mean, you probably watch the show or I saw anime a lot more than I do. So I don't know what like the ranking of like, I'm the top demon slayer because I've killed this many demons. Uh, there's like, there's like a group of them. It's been, it's been a while since, since I watched the, since I watched the show, like maybe a couple of years, but anyway, there's like a group of them that are like the top ones. And anyway, uh, Rengoku who's one of the top ones anyway they're joining him on a train after a um, a lot of people have been going missing and there's been people dying on the train from a demon and it's essentially just them trying to figure out where the demon is and then fight it and that's essentially the story but it works pretty well because it's just fun I mean Joe it kind of almost sounds like um was it murder on the orient express just anime and demons hey I'm down with that it's yeah, that's good. I was, I mean, you got kind of have to watch the first, the the whole series, first season first to kind of really be able to understand it because it really just piggybacks off entire entirely off that. But um, yeah, it is it is good. It 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 does what the 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 TV series did very well, and that was fight scenes. Um, and this continues that the the fight scenes are great. They're very they're fast, but they're not not to the point where you're kind of just wondering you know what's going on it's it shows everything really quite clearly and you know it's all sword fighting and stuff like that so it's really it's just cool to see and there's a bunch of like i don't know like special moves and stuff like that that they have that they do and each character has their own kind of fighting style and so it is enjoyable to kind of see them all on screen either fighting together or solo whatever it may be but um yeah the characters are good um they had a weird introduction into in the movie but really kind of um redeemed himself by the end of it yeah it's it's an anime movie i mean like you know i of course i'm i'm biased towards it so it goes on my list i will say one one kind of issue i had with it was um there was several points where it had a hard time mixing cgi animation and 2d animation oh see i always have a problem when anime does that because it's either it hits or misses and when it misses it looks bad and this does miss a couple points and it does look pretty bad it's something that the um the tv series didn't really have much of a problem with and at least not to this point but there was like maybe like a couple scenes in particular where it really stood out it didn't take it out didn't take me out of the movie entirely to the point where it it was frustrating but it was noticeable regardless I still do think like the movie itself is good. The final, final fight scene is great. Um, but yeah, you kind of also have to go into understanding like this is coming directly from the anime series and this is leading directly into the second season. So as a standalone movie, it's not, it's not terribly good, even though I, you know, even though I am kind of hyping it up a bit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have some friends who are cosplayers who constantly, uh, you know, do characters from this show quite a bit. So I know this is a, a top, like, this is know, a very, top, yeah, very, very, very popular. highly acclaimed one. So they've also been saying good things about the movie too. So you're you, I'm, okay. I might get, check it out. I might be brave enough to look at it. It's not, yeah, it's not too weeb that it'll turn people off. So, you know, it's a good introduction if you're getting into anime for sure. If you want something modern. Yeah. Anyway, that's my number three. Nice. Nate, number three. 
All right. Well, I mean, I guess this year's was a year of action movies. You know, you kind of mentioned Demon Slayer. There's quite a bit of action in there. And I think, Joe, you might have some on your list, too, that will come later on. Um, this next one is an action one, too. I was kind of surprised that it wowed me as much as it did. And I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but the my number three of 2021 was Major Grom, Plague Doctor. I've not heard of that at all. It is a Russian uh, detective thriller. Um, the best way I could describe it is this is what Edgar Wright would do if he got like a DC property and decided to film it in St. Petersburg. Oh. So if that doesn't surprise you or, or interest you, that's the best way I can describe it. Um, when a masked vigilante's killing spree throws a city into chaos, a renegade detective and his rookie partner are the only ones who can stop it. So as I mentioned, this is filmed in Russia. It, you know, and it was on Netflix that came out earlier this year and they gave the option to listen to different languages. I preferred the Russian dub just because it sounds nice. more grounded. Yep. Um, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I mean, I was surprised like in the first 10 minutes, the, the hook scene was just really good. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like that's the best way I could describe it. It's like, it's, this is what Edgar Wright would look like if he tried to do a Batman movie. You know, you have this underground syndicate that's trying to rise and overthrow the city. You have Major Grom, who's like this badass detective who teams up with this um, cyber journalist who kind of like she has her ways of getting through and in and out of situations. And I like the tone of this movie. It, it kind of goes all over the place with like really cheesy dialogue and then really intense action and really hard gritting drama. Mm -hmm. um, it, it kind of feels a little over the place, but I think... I kind of embrace that, and that's the reason why I just found it so enjoyable. I know, like a lot of people, don't prefer this movie, but it's kind of actually based off of a graphic novel there in Russia. It's from uh, Bubble um, Comics, and I kind of like dabbled a little bit into it. I think the movie does a pretty good job explaining the world, but it does take its own liberties to describe or even just like let these characters unfold. Um, but yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. I kind of liked all the surprises. I liked the action. I also like this little thing the detective does where he thinks about a scenario where he goes in and he's like, all right, if I do this and I die, nope, let's retrace. And he goes through all these scenarios when you're thinking it's happening in real time. So that's like the big hook about this character. And I don't know. I, I, I prefer this movie compared to like a lot of the other actions like nobody was pretty high on my list it made it into my top 10 but i think this trumped nobody so um yeah if anyone's not heard about this go and check it out on netflix and if you are brave enough i'd say watch the original russian dub i'll have to add it to the list mm -hmm. all right my number three of the year is i'm sorry alex you're gonna have to hear me talk about it pig oh, oh no Directed by Michael Sarnowski, a truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregonian wilderness must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. So, so Nate, first of all, have you seen this movie? You know what? You've brought this up quite a few times. And I remember when it came in theaters, I was very tempted to see it because everyone else has been saying the same thing that you have, Joe. Yeah, so, so going into this based only on the trailers, I kind of thought, oh, it's going to be one of those oddball kind of art house movies where it's leaning into how weird and quirky the premise is. I thought it was going to go for kind of like Nick Cage does John Wick, but as like this kind of smaller, weirder movie. 
And then I saw people giving it high reviews, not the sort of people that I thought would have liked this movie, like like people who really tend to not like genre films and love thought-provoking character pieces, which got me even more curious, like, oh, what kind of movie is this actually? And yeah, what one thing I keep on saying is that is that for, for, for people who've only seen the trailers or hear the concept and think like, oh, Nick Cage looking for his truffle pig, this isn't the movie you think it is. It is a quiet character piece. There's a lot of emotion there. You know, it touches upon uh, grief, looking at your past. There's hardly any action. I mean, it has elements of John Wick, which, again, I think is a vastly unfair comparison because, you know, it's about Portland has this kind of underground that people don't know about. But it's not like an underground. Do they? But, but, but it's, it's not an underground <laughs> world of like assassins. It's more just kind of like an underground of chefs and cooks and kind of their yeah yeah why does this feel like a portlandia concept like (laughs) that's the thing is that is that i mean like i'm like it has this kind of interesting weird stuff but it's not i mean the big the big showdown in this movie is just about community and cooking together and making food and how food can bring people together like I, I did not expect going into Pig to be thinking of Babette's feast the most. Like that—that's the—that's the strongest point of comparison I can think of. So yeah, I—I I mean, if 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 you like quiet character dramas, I highly recommend checking out Pig. It's 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 a very well done, thoughtful movie. I, I've seen a lot of people who go into it expecting kind of a crazy Nick Cage performance. They ended up getting bored by it because it, it has like a lot of quiet moments it's about conversation and dialogue and there, there there aren't any big badass lines or anything like that it is just kind of like this guy wandering around portland just wants to find his pig because the pig is all he has in his life and he wants it back but he's also not like an angry vengeful guy he's just kind of like all right you know i can throw my weight around if i need to but i don't want to because that's not the sort of person i am yeah. it, it's like you know it's like if keanu reeves said yeah i'm john wick but I don't want to kill you. Let's just play video games. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's, it's it's like it's like if if John Wick didn't have gunfights and instead had people cooking meals together. So, hmm. Hmm. Well, that sounds good. Well, were there any cool dishes that they made that you'd recommend? There are, and you'll have to watch the movie to find out. Oh right. man, come on! Uh, see, I, I thought I was going to get you into that, but all right. This movie did this movie did make me really hungry. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> all right, Alex, what's your number two? All right, number two. I feel like this may have been picked by someone else. The Green Knight, an epic fantasy adventure based on the timeless Arthurian legend. The Green Knight tells the story of Sir Gawain. How do you say his name? Gawain? Gawain. Gawain. It's, it's Gawain. It's Gawain. Yeah. Not gay. Okay. So Gawain, King Arthur's reckless and headstrong nephew who embarks on a daring quest to confront the eponymous Green Knight, a gigantic emerald skinned stranger and tester of men. I knew this movie was going to be a little bit weird going into it, but it, it surprisingly wasn't as weird in, in, I guess, the places I thought it was going to be, but also more weird in places I wasn't really expecting. Um, this movie is like, it's just all about the journey, and it's so much fun watching all the different places that he goes to. I was not kind of in, in the same as I was expecting this to be a little bit strange, but not expecting certain spots. And kind of this movie throwing off my expectations. I was not except expecting Dev Patel to be kind of as good as he was. I the movie just really worked worked really well around him, and he worked well with the movie. So I was I was 
yeah, I was very happy like watching him. Um, so he, he gave a great performance. Um, and even like thinking back on it and now I'm like remembering random specific things and little things here and there. Um, and it's just, it, it's not, it's not a necessarily a like really wild ride. Um, cause the movie kind of sets itself up in the beginning as something of, you know, a bit strange and especially with the green knight coming in it's just fascinating i i I have a hard time kind of really describing it because like the movie is i feel like the movie is simultaneously all over the place and what it's showing and all these adventures that he gets into but it all keeps it like grounded around dev patel and like he it's just all really good like the soundtrack was really good It it was one that i actually downloaded like right after watching the movie which is I don't really download a whole lot of soundtracks, so I should tell you it's it's a pretty good soundtrack. Yeah, so so high recommendation from Alex, like get the the vinyl if you can. <laughs> I think there was a vinyl actually. I oh dang, yeah, maybe I should. Um, one thing I that kind of threw me off. Uh, Joel Edgerton's character, his character's fine. His acting was a little. He just he just seems sort of out of place in the whole setting. He's very this very like talkative character and for me at least it didn't feel like it gelled all that well with the rest of the movie i'm gonna try to do this without giving spoilers because it is it is a great part but the kind of ending sequence initially watching it i really did get hung up on it and and it wasn't really until kind of after watching the movie and processing a little bit more that it it did feel like a a good ending um but it took yeah it did take a little bit of time to come around to that but still like i said it's just, it is a fascinating movie. It really is. That's why I got it for it. So the Green Knight came out earlier this year. I was uh-huh. getting pumped for it because I love David Lowry's work and I was interested okay. in the tale of the Green Knight. So in mm-hmm. preparation, I sought out the J.R.R. Tolkien translation of the Green Knight and oh. read it. Absolutely loved it. Green Knight came out. I wasn't able to get around to it that opening weekend. So I, I heard that the movie was very different from the book, which is which is fine. But what I was the ways it was I was hearing it was different kind of bummed me out because the way the book deals with uh, a lot of these themes as far as talking about honor and chivalry and just about people doing the right thing and and hearing about how the movie dealt with it, it, it sounded like kind of like a subversion of the book, which again might not be a bad thing. But I was kind of like, oh, man, the book kind of explored this stuff so well. And it, it's kind of bummed to hear that the movie does something so drastically. I don't even know if it's antithetical to the book, but I was still interested in it. And I, didn't, I just didn't get around to seeing it. I still need to see it and I'll probably end up loving it. Uh, I also, I, I, from what I understand, the movie expands on a lot of stuff that's just kind of brushed aside in the book, which actually isn't a bad thing, because in the book, he has this kind of little adventure after the, uh, the initial encounter with the knight. But the, the adventure is just kind of brushed aside in like a paragraph or two. And the almost the entire book takes place with the Lord and the Lady in those three days. Um, so, yeah, I, I still need to get around to the Green Knight and I'm interested to see it. But I think I'm I, I'm kind of glad that I didn't jump into it really hoping for a fantastic movie, because now I think if I'm going into it a little bit more cautious, I'll be more open to seeing what it's doing differently. Yeah. Well, guys, I think you stole all my thunder for this because this was my number two as well. <laughs> Keep the conversation I, I was, going. I, no, but honestly, I, I was like listening to you guys talk about it, and you guys were hitting the same points that I kind of <laughs> like and dislike about it. Um, I will say this, though. Um, I, I did read the book too, Joe. And yeah, it is 
greatly different in parts from that. But this is what I like about it is it deviates from what everyone's expectations of what a medieval epic should be and really gets back to the core of this is kind of what it really is. If anyone's not familiar with Sir Gawain and Green Knight, there is this, as Alex was mentioning, it's all about the journey and less about the conquest or, you know, building up to this big climactic scene, which I think a lot of us kind of are built with this expectation now, but the book is not like that. The story is not like that. And I was always worried about like, okay, how are they going to pull off that ending? Because the ending is, it's much more analytical than it is visual. So in my opinion, I was like, how, well, how are they going to demonstrate what he loses and what he gains from this? And I think in my opinion, um, Alex, I think the ending is the best and most perfect way that David Lowry could translate that. It's, it is a little off-putting, but I think that's why it's such a great discussion piece because I've had long discussions with people on why I think this is one of the best endings you could come up with for the story. Um, and, and without getting it away, it, what it does is it presents two alternative um, outcomes of if Gawain completes this or not. And it really shows if, you know, if he fails, this is what he's really losing. It's not only just his life he's preserving, there's something else he's losing in this. And I kind of liked how it portrayed that. Um, more also, I really like how this movie dabbles a lot and, and does take some liberties to kind of make Gawain a little bit more of a relatable character. Because in the book, he's he's just like this young, very you know, spriteful knight who just wants to do good for King Arthur. But we get a bit more of a kind of a complex and more of a character that needs to be saved and redeemed from his ways. And I liked how it went that extra mile to show that and really weaved it in. So, um, but yeah, for me, I like a lot of just the direction of it. I like how this movie takes its time. It paces itself. It really is something that you have to kind of go in being fully alert with this. It's not like something like, kind of like with Pig, don't go in expecting this and then being bummed out when it doesn't turn out the way you want. Just really immerse yourself into it because it is it is an experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is about the adventure, not about the end goal. And that's where all the fun lies, really. Yeah, exactly. And I really do feel like that's why the ending is something I really love about this movie. Like, it's the one thing people complain the most. I'm like, I love that ending. So anyway, that's my number two. My number two is Last Night in Soho by Edgar Wright, starring Thomason McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith, Terrence Stamp, a whole bunch of people, Diana Rigg. A young girl passionate about fashion design is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters her idol, a dazzling wannabe singer. But 1960s London is not what it seems, and time seems to be falling apart with shady consequences. So this was one of my most anticipated movies of the year, being an Edgar Wright joint. I always love seeing what he's going to turn out next, especially since he's done with his Cornetto trilogy, which I absolutely loved. I'm always curious to see what's the next project, standalone project he's going to turn out, just kind of out of his head. And I was excited by the prospect of this possibly being a, a, an Edgar Wright horror movie, as it was kind of advertised as very early on. Uh, having now seen it, is, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it's an Edgar Wright horror movie. I mean, it has horror elements, but, uh, you know, people compare it to uh, a giallo, which is kind of the thing people like to do these days is, oh, everything's a giallo now. <laughs> um, but I mean, there, there are giallo-esque elements in this. Yeah, I, maybe stylistically how the, the way he uses the colored gels and the super stylized way he shows, 
you know, this girl going kind of back in time when she's in her sleep and living this double life. But the movie just works as this kind of psychological thriller. You know, I, I, I love all the all the tricks that Edgar Wright's using. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that he does with mirrors in this movie. And he approached the guy who did the mirror effects in Poltergeist 3, which Poltergeist 3 has a lot of kind of crazy in-camera mirror effects. And he approached the guy who did those effects to say, hey, how can I do some crazy mirror effects in this movie? There are a lot of practical gimmicks and camera work that he does in this movie that you would just kind of assume they did digitally. But they didn't. They did it all in camera. There, there, there's a dance scene where the main girl is dipping in and out of the scene without without oh, camera so cutting. Yeah, I actually saw the breakdown for that. That was um, that was surprising how they did Yeah, that. And, and that whole scene is just done with really clever choreography where the character, you know, the actors are dipping out of frame and the next one's coming into frame. And I remember watching this in the theater thinking, like, how the heck did they do that scene? Because it doesn't look digital. Well, that's because it wasn't. <laughs> you know, uh, Joe, I did see this movie, too. And I have to kind of pat uh, Edgar Wright on the back for just really kind of showing his, like, movie nostalgia chops in this. Because you're right. He did tap into a lot of, like, technical experts from all these other movies. But there's a lot of, like, Roman Polanski's repulsion in this. There's a lot of Superia in this. So yes. you can see a lot of, like, his love for the... Argento kind of style of filmmaking using very oversaturated colors, very stylized set pieces, very stylized lighting to really bring and enhance this horror psychological thriller aspect to it. Yeah, it, it, as far as Edgar Wright movies go, it's the the least stylistically over the top. I mean, don't go in here expecting the crazy whip pans and fast cuts that he usually does. Instead, he's taking all the tools of the trade and applying it into a much kind of more I, I almost want to say traditional way, but again, it is very stylized. Um, I, I've seen some complaints about how there's this kind of, uh, without spoiling the movie, there's this kind of ghostly presence within the movie, and he goes for a kind of generic design for that. But I mean, I, I thought it was effective in the moment. You know, he, there's some jump scares in there, but again, that might, that might, that might just be me. And then the ending, which again, I won't go into spoilers in the ending, has been incredibly divisive. And I will say that I like the direction he was going with in the movie. Uh, where I've seen a lot, I've seen a lot of people who have been concerned about the direction he took the ending, uh, considering mm. the subject matter. And it does deal, the, the whole plot does deal with this kind of uh, hashtag me too kind of stuff and about mm -hmm. women yeah. being victimized and the direction he takes it in the ending is, uh, is it's it's a very bold kind of risky direction to take it and i actually appreciate that the thing is that he does i feel like kind of walks it back a little bit at the very end so the ending's a little bit muddled but he mostly lands in my opinion uh so your your mileage may vary as far as the themes of the movie go again i absolute ride of a movie i I loved every minute of this movie. No, it was a good movie. I have to admit that too. Um, and the soundtrack again, it, he always surprises everybody with his choice of music. Fantastic so. needle drops throughout. <laughs> All right. So before we get to our uh, number one movies, let's just run down a quick list of honorable mentions. Alex, do you have any honorable mentions this year? Sort of. It's pretty much just the other only other movies that I've seen this year. <laughs> All right. What about shows? What Maybe animes or shows as well. I actually haven't watched anime this year. I was just sitting there listening to music this year. Yeah, I listen to music this year. I mean, as I do every year. But yeah, so there's that. But I mean, I could list off the other movies that I have seen. I watched uh, 
Mortal Kombat remake, it wasn't very good, better than the original, but that's not saying much. Uh, Wrath of Man, it's a garbage crime movie, so you know it's it's gonna be cool. And while this doesn't live up to a lot of his other stuff, like Snatch and like even like Sherlock Holmes and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, it's still action packed, even if there's no gunfire or fighting. Um, and then I watched The Suicide Squad actually just yesterday. That was a uh, actually an enjoyable. Uh, John Cena's hilarious. I really want him to do more stuff like that. And hey, watch Peacemaker movie. when it comes out. Is that oh, he's getting his own movie? He's getting it's a, it's, a, it's gonna be an HBO oh, show. It's coming out pretty soon, I think. Actually, uh, James Gunn was already out. I thought it was already out. I thought it might be. I don't know. I don't have HBO Max at the moment. <laughs> yeah, neither am I. So you know. Anyway, th- those are I guess my honorable mentions. Um, we're not going to talk about Halloween Kills because that was absolutely terrible. <laughs> that does not belong in the honorable anywhere. But anyway, good poor Halloween, poor Mike Myers. It's like. Just let him die, please. Just please. But evil dies tonight. Oh my God! Shut up. <laughs> All right. Uh, top movies that didn't make the cut but were good runner-ups. I watched Tick Tick Boom, the story of uh, Jonathan Larson, the guy who wrote Rent. Um, Andrew Garfield's great in it, and I thought, compared to all the other musicals that came out this past year, this one was the best, just because I liked how they handled the medium. And the story with that sort of well. Um, I did like Nobody. Um, that was just a fun ride from beginning to end. A lot of surprises, as, as simple as the story is. I liked how it just was f- having fun with itself and not taking it too seriously, but also kind of like doing a lot of oh shit moments. So that was a fun one. Suicide Squad 2. Sorry, the the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's quite different from the actual comics as I've had many lengthy discussions with my friends, but I felt like this was like best way that James Gunn could revamp it without it kind of being labeled as like, oh, the first Suicide Squad. So this was a good one. I enjoyed it. And then last but not least, since this is not going to be included in my list of top 10 movies, but if this was also part of it, I would have included this as my number one, and that is Arcane, League of Legends, which is a animated series on Netflix kind of following the League of Legends lore. I saw it, watch it from beginning to end, really, really good stuff. Like it is, if anyone's not into League of Legends, this is probably the best way to get into it. And it is a really good story too. I got to stay away from Arcane. I do not need League toxicity in my life <laughs> no dude let me just look just extract that from it and just go in open-minded that's what i did and it still was enjoyable all right maybe give give the first two episodes a try i i've um so I, i'm not i'm not gonna list off my numbers six through ten uh but instead I'll, I'll i'll list off a couple of movies uh that i greatly enjoyed and think could use a little bit more attention uh, so Space Sweepers is actually number seven on my on my top ten list, but uh, that one is a it's a Korean sci-fi epic action comedy. You can watch that on Netflix. Highly recommend. Uh, New York Ninja. It was a an unfinished '80s low budget ninja movie that the company Vinegar Syndrome had the all the footage to, and they took all the raw footage. They didn't have any any sound, so they redubbed the entire movie. They brought in Cynthia Rothrock as one of the voice actors. They cut the movie together, so it's kind of like an unfinished movie from the '80s that got finished today, got chopped together today, and it's it's it's, it's a fun time. I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, Nobody as well, just 
a brawling good time of a movie. Ridley Scott's The Last Duel, which is Ooh, yeah. very long, but is very well put together. It's it's one of those kind of Rashomon movies where they show the same things over and over again. And at first I thought like, oh man, this is going to get old real quick. But, but it doesn't because they, they change things up enough that it, it's a fascinating watch. Highly recommend. I was going to watch. I wanted to watch that one. I have it downloaded. But yeah, after taking a look at how long it was, I kept putting it off, and I just never got to it. Yep, it's a it's it's a long watch. It doesn't it doesn't feel long uh, when you're actually watching it, but you gotta set the set aside set aside the time for it. Uh, I liked M Night Shyamalan's Old quite a bit, and then finally, the movie that would be on my number one is uh, well, it's 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 a mini series, which is why I didn't add it to my number one. But uh, Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass is a fantastic watch especially coming at it from a catholic perspective uh mike flanagan i know he was raised catholic and isn't today which i think movies made by those type of people or movies about catholicism made by those type of people are often the most fascinating watch uh, like scorsese's silence so midnight mass it's it is kind of a stephen king-esque genre movie but the way that mike flanagan just kind of envelops you in this small church community and the the wide range of you know how toxic they can be to how gracious they can be and you know it shows people of all sorts of different walks of faith and walks of life and different backgrounds all mixed together in this blender of this really kind of bizarre horror situation so yeah highly recommend midnight mass all right so now on to our number ones alex what is your number one movie of 2021? I feel like if you know me, you probably already guessed it, but it's The French Dispatch. There it is. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's Wes Anderson, baby. Exactly. And it's a, a big freaking cast, too. Dude, the biggest cast. Oh, my God. Anyway, the staff of a European publication decide to publish a memorial edition highlighting <clears throat> the three best stories from the last decade. An artist sentenced to life imprisonment student riots and the kidnapping resolved by a chef it, like i said it's wes anderson just in top form oh it's so good it's it's a little bit on the longer side maybe compared to the length of it to his to his other movies it doesn't feel like that long and i guess that's it's due in part to it being split up into three separate segments and when you kind of hear hear that it's going to be split up like that, you might think, oh, it's going to be feel, feel really disjointed and disconnected, like nothing really flows, like you're just getting into one story when it ends. And th that's really not the case at all. Everything just works so perfectly with just this very small tie-in of it being about an article written for a paper. Each one is just fascinating. And if, if there's a detraction to the movie, I would say it leaves me wanting more. I mean, that's Wes Anderson in general. I just want more of his movies. But, like, I would love a movie of each one of these different stories. And as much as I do want that, I am I am still content with having them wrapped up as part of this greater whole. You guys had mentioned the, the cast. And maybe probably his biggest and, like, best cast today. Like, everyone is just perfect. I mean, everyone he's worked with in the past is, like, in this movie. Like, Tilda Swinton's in there and... Dang. Yeah, like Christoph Waltz in it for like half a scene, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, I like that he used um, animation with, you know, it wasn't stop motion animation, which 
was cool. Uh, you know, it's a little bit different animation than what he has sort of done. Well, it, it kind of reminds me, uh, there's a couple of books at Barnes and Nobles when he's had like, um, well, even not even that, but just like Criterion covers that mm-hmm. they have of his work. It, it kind of almost was reminiscent to that. Yeah, yeah. Like just like kind of like very flat, uh, plain, just 2D um, stitched in symmetrical cityscape it's like it, it works yeah you know? you know that's actually a very good comparison because yeah it, it does look quite a lot like that so if you do like the look of that you know you're going to love the animation aspects of this of the movie uh, but it has like it handled it also handles different aspect ratios which are from black and white to color and whatnot without jarring you at all it, it's a movie where i just i just want more even at nearly two hour runtime i just want more of the stories i want more of the characters it's all so good. So it's really not that much of a surprise that I would pick a Wes Anderson movie as my movie of the year, but it's Wes Anderson, man. So I've been saying. Anyway, that is my number one favorite movie of the year. All right. So my number one, and this was one I just managed to cram at the last minute. Um, Green Knight would have been my number one. I thought, I thought it was going to be actually. I was too, but then after thinking about this movie and how I saw it this week and how maybe it's still fresh in my mind, but I think it explores a lot of stuff that have been on my mind and I've wanted someone to tackle for the longest time. And that is Mike Mills's sentimental drama that came out this year, Come On, Come On. Um, stars Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny, who is a, an emotionally stunted and soft-spoken radio journalist who travels the country interviewing a variety of kids about their thoughts concerning the world and their future. Then, as Johnny saddled up with carrying his young nephew, Jesse, who is played by Woody Norman, Jesse brings a new perspective, and as they travel from state to state, effectively turns the emotional tables on Johnny. This is interesting, because when you realize this was the movie that Joaquin Phoenix did right after Joker, oh wow, um, and right before 2020 happened, like they literally filmed this right in the last cusp of uh, 2019. And you look at what it's talking about. For me, this is the movie we've been needed to watch for the past two years of just everything that's been kind of going on. It's it's hard to describe this movie. It feels like a documentary. It just feels like the camera is roaming and we're just watching Joaquin just trying to be an uncle to this kid who doesn't really have a stable family life. Like as he kind of goes into looking at this kid who's kind of, all over the place he's very imaginative he's very kind of like pushing his buttons all the time but you realize this kid doesn't have anything stable going on with him and how it's really just like walking phoenix like learning to be kind of like a parent for this kid but a lot of the scenes that they did just feel very organic and it feels very cathartic like it almost feels like it wasn't even scripted the director's like you need to just let this be and let this interaction happen and i don't know i I like when those movies do that. This movie is entirely that, and it still had me kind of gripped from beginning to end. Um, and like I said, the stuff it explores about parenting, um, there's also a great scene in there where he thinks he loses him in New York. And for me, I'm not a parent, but just the way they captured that emotion, that kind of anxiety was done very well. Um, and it's, I think, just it's just real. It's honest. And I think even just like how it's built around this kind of like him traveling the state to state, talking to his kids and asking them, what are their, you know, what are they worried about for their careers or their futures or their lives? It's, 
it's asking a lot of questions I think maybe we have right now. And this movie, I think, is just a very nice little sentimental, um, even therapeutic film that just brings out and almost kind of like says, like, things are going to be okay. You don't have to worry. Just be present there for the ones you love. And I don't know. I, I just was surprised how good this was. Um, Joe, I, I don't know. I think I'd recommend this to you, but... I feel like this is actually more of an Alex movie. I feel like this is up Alex's venue of like, he likes, you like documentaries and this kind of dabbles between both like fiction and reality. I almost feel like the kids they were interviewing were real kids that they were like asking these deep questions. And somehow all of this ties back at the very end. And I don't know, it was, I just enjoyed it. It was good. Excellent. So my number one movie of 2021 is Malignant by James Wan. Of course, really? it would be a James Wan movie. Yeah. Uh, Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders, and her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are, in fact, terrifying realities. Stars Annabelle Wallace, Maddie Hassan, George Young, among others. So, I mean, again, this this was another movie along with Last Night in Soho. I was very highly looking forward to James Wan is one of my favorite modern day working directors, just in that I, I, I'm always I mean, I don't always love everything he makes, but I'm always look forward to seeing whatever he makes. I mean, the guy kind of re I mean, I mean, he didn't reinvent the, the horror genre multiple times, but he set the the new standard for new waves of horror multiple times. You know, he he made Saw and that jump started the whole torture porn trend we saw in the early 2000s. Then he made Insidious and The Conjuring. And now we're having a whole bunch of these kind of spook house, haunted house movies. I'm not saying the mm-hmm. trends he set were necessarily great, but he set trends. <laughs> yeah, he made Blumhouse what it is. Let's say that pretty much know. the whole the whole current day Blumhouse thing is just copying what he did in Insidious and The Conjuring. So when I heard that he was doing a new horror movie and it was supposed to be different from everything he had made before, I was excited because it's James Wan coming back to horror after doing some blockbuster movies. And the reactions to this movie has been very divisive because for the most part, I'd say maybe for the first half, first almost even two thirds, this movie does a lot of the same sort of haunted house tropes that James Wan has done for quite a while. But it has this very kind of low budget, late 90s tinge to it. The movie opens up with this set piece that feels like something out of a a pulpy exploitation film, kind of. Uh, all the actors are on this this kind of different level that that's heightened and over the top and we're not quite used to. So I've seen a lot of people saying that, oh, it's unrealistic, it's goofy, it's campy. And I'm like, it is, but it's intentionally so. I mean, the way, you know, when, when actress at the, at the beginning, had you know, in this bathed in red light, looks straight into the camera and says, we need to cut out the cancer in this really over the top way. It feels like it's out <laughs> of like an Australian, you know, grindhouse movie kind of. So I was already on board with that. And then, you know, everybody knows the moment when the movie switches over. It's just pure, unfiltered, grindhouse genre fare. I remember watching this in the... I'm so happy I saw this in theaters because I was sitting there and my jaw just was like open during the whole third act. Like, like I couldn't believe that they were going at, 
as hard as the movie was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see, I, I kind of was reading that too. It was like people keep saying like stick around for the third act because it becomes something completely different. I'm like, oh, what? Okay. I haven't seen it either, but I think your description of it makes me want to see it now. It, 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 it was the closest I think I've come to feeling like I experienced something like the chestburster scene from Alien. Because the, the, the thing from the oh. thing about the chestburster scene from Alien is that, you know, everyone can tell you about how impactful it was and everything. But the problem is that it's so saturated into our pop culture that when you watch Alien for the first time, you know the chestburster scene is coming, and you're like, "Man, that's a really well done scene." But right, but like mm-hmm. when at the time that came out, that shocked everybody. Yeah, yeah. So. Could, could you imagine going to see Alien for the first time, not knowing anything about it, and that scene happens? That's yeah. the reaction I got watching Malignant. Was you know, I, I'd heard people say like, "Oh man, the movie's kind of crazy." I was like, "Okay," but I didn't know exactly how far it was going to take its premise. And when it does, I was just like, "I can't believe what I'm looking at," and this made it into like a mainstream you know studio movie like 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 this feels like the sort of thing that should come out of like a hen and lauder movie in the early late <laughs> 90s you know not some big budget studio movie <laughs> okay now you sold me on this i'm gonna watch it now yeah so so i mean again if you watch it as being this kind of tongue-in-cheek sort of thing it, it works but i've seen people turn it off talk about how they turn it off halfway through because like eh, it's just the same old haunted house vibes and it's not even that good and the acting is pretty bad and it's really corny i'm like it is but like that stuff already worked for me because I, I think James Wan is very self-aware in playing into the camp. You know, there, there are little moments of dialogue where people talk, just two people talking. And the way they're talking is not the way anybody talks like in real life. But it works for the scene because it's kind of this heightened reality. Uh, and then again, that third act kicks in and takes it to a whole other level. And the movie works for replay value because it's one of those endings where once you have all the chips laid out on the table, you can rewatch it and you're like, oh, I see what's going on here. That's really interesting. I, I, I had an absolute blast with this movie. I get that it's not everyone's cup of tea. And I, I get that if you're not on the movie's wavelength, it can be kind of a chore to get through. But I don't know. It's, it's a big old fun time. And uh, I don't think the ending is the only good thing about it. I think it makes the whole thing mm-hmm. just that much more fun to watch. It's a bonkers little, it, it feels very Australian horror exploitation kind of influence which makes sense because he came from australian uh, he came from australia and like 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 watching this movie i kind of thought like oh james wan finally made a crazy australian movie <laughs> <laughs> is that literally a genre australian horror oh if you go into australian genre movies there's a whole crazy world of stuff like like th- those filmmakers oh. in the 80s and the 90s like they were just unhinged oh, yeah yeah, you know, maybe I'll, I'll give it a shot. Maybe I'll uh, make a resolution to watch something outside my comfort zone. So, okay, yeah. Australian horror. All right, I'll put that down yeah. on the list. So that does it for our top five movies of 2021. Comment down below. Tell us what are your top 10, five movies? What are your favorite, some of your favorite movies from 2021? Do you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? We have a kind of a well-rounded roster here, I feel like. Yeah, let us know what what, what really kind of stood out to you in this in the last year of movies. Um, you know, like I said, like a lot of different tastes kind of coming together and talking about what we enjoyed and what we liked and whatnot. So honestly, I would have laughed if all of us picked the same movie as that our number one. How funny, boring yeah. would that be to listen to as a podcast? I mean, we did we did have a bit we did have a couple crossovers with Dune and Green Knight, and then Joe is just off in his own world. I'm off in my own. I'm off in Joe Land. You know, I'm watching yeah. Malignant and being like, <laughs> mm, yes, this is cinema. <laughs> yes. Yeah, as I'm sitting here watching Titan, uh, car body horror movies. I'm just chilling, watching French Dispatch, 
I still I, that, your... that's another one I need to see. That that looks great. It's man, uh, I'm so behind. Watch it. <laughs> All I'm gonna say is uh, don't listen to Alex. It's not Wes Anderson's best. Mm. Oh no! no, yeah. no. I, I, right, I, right. I had to. And, I had to stick it in. It's not. Right. It's not his best. No, I will agree. But it's Wes Anderson, so it's still really good. And tell us in the comments what are you looking forward to in 2022? Yes, <laughs> we got a whole other year ahead of us. Jeez. One more year of watching movies online, and, uh, watching Pixar movies, <laughs> posted oh. Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, poor turning red. Yeah. Jeez. Alrighty, and uh, with that, keep listening, and uh, we'll have more stuff coming down, coming down the line, more podcast episodes, more videos coming out. So keep watching movies and keep it easy. Bye.